part of some of the things that we were tripping over in the day-to-day workplace were related to gender and were really more related to us applying our values to other people when they don't share those values. Mm. And that makes a huge difference uh, in terms of how people relate to each other and whether or not they, they, they sync up or bounce off each other, which often, often happens. Ready to learn why cash flow and compassion are not mutually exclusive? Each week, brand strategist, speaker, and author Maria Ross will introduce you to the trailblazing brands and leaders who embrace empathetic tactics to reap huge rewards. You'll learn about winning teams, brand wins and fails, unforgettable customer experience, and bold leadership decisions fueled by compassion. You'll get the latest trends and research, discover practical ways to infuse more empathy into your work and life, and hear from innovative market leaders who've smashed outdated models and redefined success. Welcome to the Empathy Edge podcast, the show that proves empathy isn't just good for society, it's great for business. Let me ask you a big question that impacts your organization's growth and innovation. If you've experienced, shall we say, disharmony in your workplace, it might not be because other people are evil and out to get you. It may just be because there's a clash of different mindsets and a whole host of assumptions being unfairly made. If that's the case, how many great ideas are you missing out on because of this friction? My guest today is author, speaker, and consultant, Karen Cornwell. After years of working in tech, Karen realized that we spend a lot of time tripping over our differences in the workplace. Many of these differences are often thought of as gendered, as some originate from stereotypical behavior. You develop your mindset based on how you think. The problem is we don't all think alike, and when we judge others' behaviors according to our mindsets, We often come up short and have trouble understanding others' behaviors. That's why she wrote her book, You Can't Fix What You Can't See, an eye-opening toolkit for cultivating gender harmony in business. Her goal is to give others the ability to peel back other behaviors and glimpse the underlying mindset so you can work together in a more meaningful way. This is how we can leverage differences to drive more innovation, growth, and engagement in the workplace. Today, Karen and I talk about what gender harmony means, how it impacts mindsets, and how you can assess your own mindset to better bridge divides and unlock innovation and collaboration. You'll love her fabulous example of how empathy in action resulted in a multi-million dollar win for a pharmaceutical company. This is a great episode today. Take a listen. Let's get connected. If you're loving this content, don't forget to go to theempathyedge.com and sign up for the email list to get free resources and more empathy-infused success tips and find out how you can book me as a speaker. I want to hear how empathy is helping you be more successful. So please sign up now at theempathyedge.com. Oh, and follow me on Instagram where I'm always posting all the things for you at Red Slice Maria. Hi, everyone. It's Maria here for the Empathy Edge podcast. And today I am happy to invite Karen Cornwell to the conversation. Welcome, Karen. Hey, Marie. How are you today? 
I am good. And so let's talk about gender harmony. I would love, you know, the title of your book is called You Can't Fix What You Can't See, an eye-opening toolkit for cultivating gender harmony in business. Can you tell us what you mean by gender harmony? Well, you know, that's an interesting question, Maria, because many people don't understand what that means because they've never seen it. And (laughs) I grew up in tech as a woman. And so I saw everything but that. And you don't even realize that it's not gender harmony that you're seeing because you don't associate oftentimes that you're what you're looking at is a gendered kind of response because it's kind of woven into the fabric of our lives. So people don't see it. And Mm -hmm. that's why I titled my book like I did, because I found many people couldn't, couldn't see that, but, but gender harmony and leveraging our gender differences is all about understanding that people are coming from a different place than you. Very few people come from exactly the same place we come from. We had different backgrounds. We grew up in different places. Our parents did different things. Our schools had different norms. And all that folds into a little piece of who we are. But often what I found, and it took me a long time to figure this out. I mean, it took me, you know, years of working in in tech to figure out that part of some of the things that we were tripping over in the day-to-day workplace were related to gender and were really more related to us applying our values to other people when they don't share those values, Mm. And that makes a huge difference uh, in terms of how people relate to each other and whether or not they, they, they sync up or bounce off each other, which often, often happens. Right, right. Can you give us an example of the types of things you're talking about? So let me give you a, a, a kind of a, a quick but a deep one. So I want you to imagine, Maria, that there are only two kinds of people in the world. Okay, and they're on opposite extremes because that's how you can see the differences is when you put them on extremes, they become hilariously obvious. Right. (laughs) And if you look at those two kinds of people, let's take one and let's say um, this is a person whose status is extremely important to them. In fact, that may be the most important thing to them is their status, but they will never say this because that's not what they think. It's in their mindset and it's buried deep in their heads that status is really important. In fact, if you ask them if status is important, they will probably say, uh, maybe just a little, right? Right. But they won't say it's the most important thing in the world. Now I want to flip over and I take another person. I want to say connection is most important, the most important thing. And to be achieved in, in spite of all others, right? So And when these two people meet, now I'm going to put them at a big tech conference in Mm -hmm. California, like only because I really want to go to a big tech conference because it's been a while. Yes, exactly. (laughs) We miss, we miss our live events for sure. Yeah. The, the virtual is okay, but there is something about the live that's there. And let's say we take those two people and we put them both in this tech conference and they're standing, talking to each other. Now, You'll see the one whose status is most important. I call them independent minded. Mm -hmm. That person will be scanning the room. 
and often might be looking right through the other person because they are looking for people of higher status whom they need to meet or Mm -hmm. talk with or whatever, right? And so according to their value system, they are doing exactly what they should be doing. Right. Mm-hmm. If status mm-hmm. is the most important thing, then that's right. what I should be paying attention to. Right. They're not to. trying to be mean. They're just that's what they think they're there for. That's exactly. And, right. And and but if you look at the other person mm-hmm. who's there and they are trying to connect, they are trying to build a deep relationship. They are they are trying to really get into the other person's head and find out what's ticking for them. Mm-hmm. Well, that person who's getting looked through often can take offense and say, I am taking my time to build a relationship with you and you're scanning the room looking for someone else to talk to. How friggin' insulting is that? Mm-hmm. Well, now you got to realize that this connection person, you know, that's the most important thing. Status is not important. And so they're trying to make this connection, but that's not what's important to the independent minded person. Right? right. So you get this cross up and it's when this cross up happens. For example, if you had all people who think status is the most important thing in the room, everybody would be looking around looking right. through everyone and they would be totally content. Exactly. They, they, it's empathy's easier when everybody thinks the same. Right. That's it has right. that same mindset. And it's when we slap our you shoulds on someone else who doesn't believe that that's when we get crossed up and that's when we trip over gender differences. But I have yet to meet anyone who has experienced that. I mean, I've had a lot of women say, Oh, I hate it when people do that. Right. Look through me at a conference and they, they have, but they have never thought, Oh, well that person is doing exactly what they should be doing. Mm-hmm. I'm trying, I am trying to do something different. Right. And that's where it gets really, that's where we trip over. But we never think necessarily about gender differences. We say so, he was being a jerk, not he was being, he was playing into exactly where he was in space and time. So are you, are you linking that with a gender difference? Cause to me, that sounds like a personality or a mindset difference. Are you linking it, that to it, gender? It, tends to be a gendered difference. And I call it, I've changed the word a lot since I wrote the book because gender gets you in a lot of trouble. I'm sure right. you're aware, I'm sure you're aware of that. Right. So, right. But it, I think it stems from a gendered mindset. And so it's like, we take that mindset, but we don't really think about it as being gendered anymore. It's just, mm-hmm. it's, it's who and we are. What do you mean by a gendered mindset? What does that mean? I think it has elements of gender in it. So if you look way back in history, there was something there that would have said, you know, uh, men have status. And so therefore that's really important. And that's where I came up with independent minded, but you want to know, it's really weird. After spending all these years in tech, when I first came up, I didn't label things independent minded and community minded. I had them labeled men and women, right? Mm -hmm. I was a man. 90% Mm. 90% of my dichotomies in my book, I came out like as masculine a man. energy kind of thing. I came out as a man. Now, mm-hmm. was that because that's who I am? Is that because I spent 30 years in tech? You know, it doesn't really matter. Mm. And you know, what matters is when I look at all those labels, it was like, well, yeah, but this doesn't, this doesn't seem right to me. Mm-hmm. Right. So 
so when I switched the labels, things started becoming more clear. And, and I've seen a lot of people and I've, I've, I take when I speak, right, I, I ask for polls and I ask people to raise their hands and I always get a big mashup mm-hmm. uh, of people. You know, you, it does not divide along sex. It, it divides along how your mindset is and you can't see it. You can't see people's mindsets. And I love that maybe that's what we call it is like mindset harmony almost. Um, if I rewrote my book, I would use a different term. I definitely interesting, would. Interesting. Because it's, it's, it's really where your brain is mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and whether or not you're assuming other people are in the same boat with you. And that's a, and that's a big difference. Right. Right. And that even that phrase is so interesting to me because throughout the pandemic, so many people were saying things like we're all in the same boat and actually we weren't all in the the same boat. boat. We were all in the same storm. I heard somebody say, but we're not all in in the the same same boat. boat. And so that's a really interesting distinction as well that, you know, are the, are the, are the internal parameters the same? Like you, you talk about like the mindset, do we all have the same mindset or do we have different mindsets, but we're all facing the same external stimuli and we're reacting differently to that external stimuli, depending on our mindsets. And that's where we get ourselves into trouble because we don't apply empathy. Right. Correct. And I, I don't even think we necessarily are. I don't know that we'd all agree. We're looking at the same external thing. Mm-hmm. I think that we see different things and our mindsets flavor what Mm -hmm. we see. So what, you know, what we're actually interpreting, Mm -hmm. right. The interpretation starts before our mind even starts thinking is we've already, we've already colored it one way or another. Right. Right. And we're not, you know, we're not aware of it. We're not aware that we're doing that. And that's what is important in my work is that you slow down and you go, wait, this is what I'm thinking, but what are they thinking? Mm -hmm. Because that's what's really important. And, and that's where we clash or we mesh. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't know if you've ever had a, a you know, a really close friend you're like two peas in a pod. I mean, you probably share a very similar mindset. And so nothing you talk about takes you into a danger zone. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're all in the same boat and we can happily play together. But when somebody comes in with a different mindset, it's Wow, that's different. Uh, you know, I don't think that way, mm-hmm. and that, or, can be- or I feel threatened by that, or I'm offended by that, or I'm scared by that. Like yes. you get all those emotional reactions to yes. what you think is going on, and we are masters at hiding it, especially women. Mm-hmm. Our masters at not showing our cards mm-hmm. and sitting and observing and being in discontinuity, if you will, right? Mm-hmm. While while trying to act like we are with everybody in the room when we're really not. Completely. Well, I mean, if you look at workplace cultures in the, the 40s and the 50s and even into the 60s, you know, the, the common thing was, you know, well, women don't mind the behavior that's happening. And it's because they didn't show it because they knew that if they showed it, they might lose their job or not get a promotion or be, you know, targeted or blackballed in some way. So they became masters of hiding how they really felt. And so just because they were hiding how they really felt doesn't mean that they were approving of what was going on in those workplaces at the time. (laughs) Totally true. That is totally true. Yeah. So talk to us a little bit about, you know, we're talking about the word mindset a lot. 
and it gets bandied around a lot. How do you define mindset? You know, your mindset is just a set of perceptions. It's your way of seeing the world. Mm-hmm. And we all we all assume it's the only way. And that's the the issue, right? So buried in that mindset are beliefs, mm-hmm. assumptions, uh, values, you know, what we what we think is most important um, about both how the world works and how people work together. And my book includes, you know, a ton of these. I've broken out a ton of these where you can where you can put things on a dichotomy so that you can see the difference. Because a lot of times if you don't see that there's another side of it, you, you know, you think everybody thinks the same way and it's totally not. And we often trip over thinking differently. Mm-hmm. We, we may not actually have a disagreement with the other person, but we think about it differently and we begin to trip over that. And that, and it gets in the way of work instead of helping to get work done. Exactly. Exactly. And you, you talk about being able to overcome those mindset divisions, right? Those mindset misunderstandings as a way to drive market growth, engagement, and innovation. Can you talk a little bit about that? So the, the art of the game is, is, and I put a whole model in my book of how to do this, but let me go to the short version because it's easier for people. Well, and we want everyone to get the book, so don't <laughs> well, give it all away. Well, okay. Well, well, and we'll, we'll this will be enough to get started. A little teaser, but. a little, a little amuse-bouche. And, you know, the first thing is to understand where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. And of course, it's easy with these dichotomies. People can pretty quickly go, oh, I'm that. I'm on that side mm-hmm. or I'm you on this to, side, right? You have to know yourself. It's got to start with understanding your lens because otherwise you don't yes. know how that lens is coloring what you see. Yes, totally. And and so you need to actually think about it. And But most people I find can pretty quickly nail where they are on the scale if you, you know, if you ask the right questions. Mm-hmm. But with other people, you have to kind of guess where they are because- I think it would be uncomfortable to, to, you know, to ask them where you are, because then you kind of have to go through all this theoretical. This is, you know, this is what (laughs) I'm talking about. But what I have found is that people give it away in how they talk. They give it away in their behavior, how they behave. And, you know, part of my work actually comes from Deborah Cannon's work. She's a linguist at Georgetown University. And, and she's the one that really came up with the, uh, the, the individualist status and connection. And when you look at those two or that one dichotomy, it really plays out and you can see it showing up in a bunch of places. You know, mm-hmm. I gave you that little example Mm-hmm. right of looking through people at a conference you know it definitely shows up there but it shows up in hundreds of other places and in different ways and so you can you can begin to see it's so it's not what people say it's what they do that you can watch right mm-hmm. which now it's a behavior so you can see how people consistently and you can see how people treat other people mm-hmm. and so there's a big clue there mm-hmm. as to what's going on mm-hmm. And so tell us again how, how when you can master that harmony, well, actually, let me take a step back. So you, you, your first step you said was talking about figuring out your own lens and then figuring out the person that you're talking to. 
then where do you go with that information? I think that's often the cliff people can't jump off of is, okay, I know I think this way and I know you think that way. Now what? So this is, and this is the part that's, I think, scariest to most people. Then you can actually talk about it. But this requires the big leap into talking. I, I'm thinking that you're thinking differently than I am. Mm-hmm. Right. Even that conversation sounds yeah. awkward. Doesn't but it? It's like, but it's like, tell me about it. T- talk to tell me, tell me, about me more it. about it. And, yeah. and you know what, what's buried in there because it's, and I, part of this may come from my technical background as an engineer, right? It's buried in the assumptions. Mm-hmm. You know, what's wrong is almost always buried in the assumptions and you don't talk about what the assumptions are. So you never get to that level of conversation. So I, I have a great example and it's, and it's incredibly powerful. Uh, I interviewed a gentleman, uh, Julius Pryor for my book, and he was working for, uh, I think at the time it was tap Phar- pharmaceuticals. And now it's, it, there's been three or four mergers. I think it's part of AbV now. And they came up with a fantastic drug for prostate cancer. And he looked at the data and he was pretty high in the organization, right? He looked at all the data and he says, wow, we've got to get this to black men because they have a much higher proportion of prostate cancer than anyone else. Right. So this is like a godsend to, wow, you know, this is amazing. And so he took it, you know, to the salespeople and says, we've got to get this. And they said, oh no, we're not going to do that. And he was, you know, what? Oh, you know, they don't go to the doctor. They won't take their medication. They don't come back for a second appointment. You know, they won't come back and do the checkup piece that you need. Um, and, he, and he just went, but it's like the proportion of, of prostate cancer in these men is, you know, double, triple, three times higher than it is for other people. Why wouldn't you take this as a target group? And so they had all these assumptions about why not. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, you people are crazy. And he went to the head of sales and he says, you know, I want you to give me one sales rep and I want to try an experiment, right? I want to take this to, you know, 10 doctors or whatever it was. We're just going to do a pilot and we'll see if it works. They got 100% of those doctors' patients on that drug that, you know, that needed it, obviously. Mm -hmm. 100%, which is... Mm -hmm you know, phenomenal. And then the results that they got continued to be phenomenal. And then all of a sudden the sales team went, oh, wait, our assumptions were wrong. (laughs) We get it now. And they, and, and then they started massively marketing that. Well, Mm -hmm. wait a couple of years. It turns out because of how that drug works, it also works for fibroid tumors in women. Guess who has the highest proportion of fibroid tumors in women? Black women. And again, they were like, okay, so we are going to, are we going to do this again? Are we going to do it right this time? Right. Well, this time they had the previous learning experience. And so it was easier for them. And this drug, I mean, the success of this drug and its ability to get into the marketplace was so pushed by this. Mm-hmm. that a few years after all these things happened, they had increased the hiring of their minority employees by 30%. Wow. 
right? Because the people in the company got it. We need people who can relate to our client population. Mm-hmm. We need people who can talk to our client. We need people who understand what's going on in our clients' heads. So they can say, no, you need to take this every morning, right? You know, whatever it was that they needed to do mm-hmm. so that that relational factor was in there. And it, and it, and it just did astronomical things for this business. But this poor guy had to beat up the company internally to make them try it. And this is where I go, how many great ideas are you missing? Mm -hmm. How many ideas are in the heads of your people, but they won't bring it up because they're afraid you'll say no, or because you've said no before or whatever. They're like, you know what? My life will be just easier if I don't bring it up. Because if I, you know, pick up this burden and try to haul it up this hill, this is going to be serious work for me, right? Mm-hmm. And if nobody's going to lend me a hand, then why, what, why should I do that when it's probably going to fail? Right. Because this guy was in a senior level position. So he was, he had the ability to do it, but how many other people are not there? That is so important. The innovation we lose out on because of lacking empathy. I mean, that, that right there, I mean, all of the research I brought forth in my book showed that empathetic cultures boost innovation. And it's partly because you're willing to ask questions, you're willing to take risks, you're willing to slow down a little bit to ask what's going on for people. And you're able to create those innovations rather than just looking at things from one single point of view. So what, oh, a, great, so right. what a great illustration of that, that if they had only taken the time to not just shrug it off by going with their assumptions. But to ask the question. And then I want to bring this back around again. So how does that relate again to the gendered gendered harmony? Is it because one way is a little bit more masculine? How do you see that? No, I don't know. I don't think so. I think it's, it's getting over your own assumptions and into what somebody else is thinking. What Mm -hmm. are the assumptions that they've got? Because often they're not the same. Mm-hmm. And in those differences and assumptions is where the miracles lie. Mm. Okay. And that's, that's part of what, you know, really kills me is, is a lot of the, uh, in a lot of innovation, it happens on the fringe of industries on the mm-hmm. outer edge. And it happens when you get experts, maybe in one industry, talking to experts in a completely different industry that they know nothing about. Mm-hmm. And that's when the ideas start to spark. And it's like, oh, we did this over here. What if we do it over here, but with this twist on it? And and when you get those experts free flowing like that, mm-hmm. it, amazing things can happen. And what do companies do with their experts? They hide them. They put them in the basement And they try not to let them out, right? Because, you know, we need you to just keep doing your expert stuff. But what do experts really need? Other experts in adjacent areas, outside their own expertise. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so I would also really advocate that companies need to take a different look at how do we project our brilliance of our people out to the world? Mm-hmm. Because that is going to attract the other people, right? That that are going to provide the spark, that are going to give you that innovative creativity that you really, really need. I love it. So it is. I mean, again, once again, proof again that empathy and looking at things from other points of view leads to market growth. 
and innovation. Totally. I mean, just look at microfinancing, right? A whole microfinancing world. Everybody said, oh, no, it'll never work. It'll never work. And then some brilliant person went, it's the women. We're going to give the microfinancing to the women in these communities because they will make it work because their role is to make the community run, right? Efficiently. Mm -hmm. And so they have that inherent power and that's why microfinancing took off so well, right? It's a, it's, you know, it's it, people said, why well, you're never going to do anything given small amounts of money to a bunch of people. And, and that's so not true. Mm -hmm. So many people have pulled themselves up by their, you know, they needed that one little dangle yeah. and then they can pull themselves up and then they proceed to pull other people up at the same time. You've given us so much to think about. What is something actionable people can take from today's conversation about improving their own ability to see things from another point of view? I think, you know, I think what I'd have to say is get the book because it can help you look at different dichotomies to ask the question, where do I sit? Mm -hmm. And I'll caution people because, well, we used to have a home life and a work life. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And now it's, it's gone. It's gone. I think it's kind of all blurred, mm -hmm. but, but I'll, when you look at it, look at how would I deal with this at work, but also look at how would I deal with this at home? Cause you may indeed deal in two different ways mm -hmm. depending on, you know, where your head is. I'm one of the mm -hmm. rare people who apparently deals with everything in the same way. Mm -hmm. But many people have a kind of this split personality where how they deal with things at work and how they deal with things at home are different. Mm -hmm. And so they're actually switching mindsets mm -hmm. and they may not even realize it. And, you know, how you are with like extended family, right, may be very different than how you are in your work environment. Right. So look at the, you know, those influences, but figure out where you are and then take some of these dichotomies and ask other people, particularly if you work closely with them mm -hmm. and say, where do you think you are on this? I was just, you know, I was, I was just flipping through this book and I, mm -hmm. I, was like, I wonder where he is on this and yeah. engage in a conversation with them. And I think you'll find you'll learn a ton about people because mm -hmm. they all of a sudden become open up and curious, mm -hmm. you know, as to, as to what's going on. So I think that's the, the big first step. And then mm -hmm. once you've done that and you know, you have a huge difference. I had a, I had a boss for years. I would go take ideas to him. And my idea was that I should be able to take an idea to him and get a yes and leave in one shot. Never happened. Right. He would always say, I have to think about it. Mm -hmm. And I thought about that. And I said, how can I shortcut that? And I finally said, you can't shortcut it, Karen. You need to go talk to him. Mm -hmm. Give him a little bit. Don't give him the whole thing. Cause that was too, that was overload. Give him a little bit, let him think about it and then come back. And so I, that was my new strategy. I would, I introduce it then I'd let him come back. And then, I, then we'd have a conversation and then almost always I would get a yes. Right. Or a modified yes. But, but it was a go forward mm -hmm. because I allowed him to work in the way he needed to work exactly to, to be whole. And if you don't let people do that, they will not be happy. Well, and I love that such a great example about, you know, empathy is also, you know, when you can adapt with empathy, you actually can mutually get your goals met. 
Oh, and definitely. so it's, if, you know, you didn't lose sight of the goal, which was you wanted your ideas approved. And so it was, you know, you could have kept banging your head against the brick wall, trying to do it the way you wanted to do it. But you looked at it from his point of view and said, what does this person need to feel comfortable moving forward? Yes. And then that's how you get what you want. And, and not that we want to use empathy as a manipulation tool, but it's just, it is a great way to move forward together. Well, and you know, it's, it's hilarious. I've, um, I've done a lot of sales, right? High tech, big dollar sales, right? And I tell you the things that have sealed a contract deal. Okay, when we're done with this work, why don't you and I write a technical paper and submit it to this, you know, whatever organization it is that accepts those things? Because that was what the person really wanted. I need to leave a mark in the world. If you can help me leave a mark in the world, I'll spend my company's money, you know, to get this thing so we can test it out. So we'll have the data, but I really want to leave a mark in the world. And that's the most important thing to me. And so to understand your clients, the people you work with, the coworkers, what, what are their most important things? Because often you can fold in. How hard is it for me to say, after we do all this work, we're going to write a paper. (laughs) It's, it's tiny amounts of time, right? It's Mm -hmm. tiny and it's, and it's so, and it costs, you know what, it's maybe an extra 10 hours and out of a big contract, that's like nothing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. do it right. Mm -hmm. It makes a huge, huge difference. I love it. Well, thank you so much for sharing all these insights with us today. Um, just want to remind folks the name of the book, You Can't Fix What You Can't See, an eye-opening toolkit for cultivating gender harmony in business. Karen, thank you so much for being here today. How can folks find out more about you? Conveniently, it's the same name as my book. That's, I guess, the best landing page. It's you can't fix what you can't see.com. Just leave out those apostrophes. <laughs> <laughs> They don't work. (laughs) Well, thanks for the conversation today. It was wonderful to talk to you. Thank you, Maria. I quite enjoyed it. Great. And thank you all for listening to the podcast. Remember to share it with friends or colleagues. If you like what you're hearing, don't forget to rate and review. And as always, please remember that cash flow, creativity, and compassion are not mutually exclusive. They actually complement each other quite nicely. Take care and be kind. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Empathy Edge. If you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to share the show with others who want to redefine success and change the game. For more on how empathy makes you and your brand more successful, visit TheEmpathyEdge.com. There, you can download a free guide outlining five business benefits of empathy and a free sample chapter of Maria's book, The Empathy Edge. Until next time, Remember that a more empathetic world starts with you and leads to tremendous success.